Here we go. My name is Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 425. What is Zen Parenting Radio? It's a podcast that'll help you feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, fears. Four fears. The four different types of fears. And I'll just go over... I'll go over them with you real quick. The first is uh, good fear. The second is bad fear. The <laughs> third is really good fear. And the fourth is really bad fear. It's so funny. I thought you were really going to it. I was going like this with my pet. I know. Like, stop. That's why I didn't look at you. I know. That's funny. So isn't that the four fears? That's it, honey. That's right. So really let's just close good, the show. Really good, bad, really bad. You're welcome, everybody. Well, actually, well, you actually started with good fear because I was going to say fear is not bad. We fear change. Mm-hmm. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Those are two movie lines. Do you know which of those two those are from? The first one is from Wayne's World. Very good. The Garth quote. Mm-hmm. Um, be afraid. Be very afraid. I know that's not Yoda, even though he Yoda, says Yoda wouldn't similar. say that. He says, you will be. You will be. Um, be afraid. Be very afraid. That sounds familiar, but no. Actress Gina Davis. Um... Gina Davis, so it's either Thelma and Louise or it's a league of their own. Another hint is you hate these things in our house. Socks on the counter? You do hate socks on the Why counter. Why are socks on the counter? Do you hate pants on the ground, pants in the, <laughs> on the ground, looking like a fool with your pants on the ground? No, that I don't mind, but when twice this week I have found... One time I you found You hate these a things worse, worse than socks on the counter. Oh, gosh. I don't know, man. You have a dish towel? I do. You start shooing things with your dish? Oh, fly, the fly. The fly. It, yes. Very good. Yes, the fly. That'd be a Jeff Goldblum special. Is that yes. his name? Yes. Um, that movie's gross at the end. It's yeah, gross. it's moving, though. It is. It's sad. It's, it's sad. sad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He points the gun at himself. Yeah, sad. Sorry for those of you who are going to watch The Fly this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I don't think it's on the What's Hot list anymore. No, it's not. So I'm letting Kathy kind of... <laughs> totally gave away the end. That's all right. All no, right. If anybody wanted to see The Fly, they've had 25 years to see it. <laughs> if somebody gets mad at us for um, divulging the ending... Divulging. Uh, it's too bad. Sorry. We love you guys, but you know, you had 25 years to watch it. <laughs> um, usually Kathy kind of carries the show, but today Kathy's going to carry the show. Nah, that's not true. We're just going to do this Sometimes together. when I'm editing, I like fast forward and I'm waiting for my voice. I know. And I wait a long time. I talk a lot. I'm once I here's the thing. Once I get going on a topic, all this that my head gets flooded with thoughts. And I have to keep going because if we stop, then I can't, it's not knowledge. So I can't remember. Do it you know, just flows. Do you know that I interrupt you um, a lot, probably more than you interrupt me? And the reason for that is because when you're in that flow, uh-huh. I know it might be another 90 seconds before Correct. I get my turn. And by then I will have since yeah. forgotten. So I either have a choice. I could either write that thought down or interrupt you. And I'm too lazy to write it down. So I just end up interrupting you. Well, and you never, you rarely ever get mad. When I interrupt you, rarely. Are you? You all. <laughs> you're interrupting me on purpose. Yes, I can yes, tell. I, am. Um, I usually it's fine because I've been talking for a long time and it's your turn. Ah, very it's good. It's just your turn. So, what are the actual four fears that you're referring to? So, let's talk about where I got this first. First of all, um, this book that I got this from came out a while ago. It's Oprah's book. It's called The Wisdom of Sundays. He's in the There she is. There she is. I always do a vision board um, for the conference because uh, we're, I know it sounds funny that we're already getting ready for next year's conference, but we are. So I'm like redoing the vision board as I do every year. And I always put Oprah in the corner, just in the corner. Just and is that with the it. intent that she might show up? Oh, no, I don't. I don't think it's that. I just always like her. She's just. If you could have anybody in the world show up at our conference, who would it be? Show up like just to watch or show yeah, up? Yeah, let's the- start with an audience member. Like so, oh, my, all of a sudden, because, you know, we went to the Shefali thing. Who's the guy that showed up? Dirks Bentley. Yeah, Dirks Bentley. Oh, my gosh. He heard my guacamole story. Most people are saying, who's Dirks Bentley? But for I the people play who... It, play his song. What is it called? Uh, play Drunk on a Plane. <laughs> I think, is that related to Snakes on a Plane? It is not. Dirks Bentley. D-I-E-R. 
KS. There it is. Yeah. Should I play the beginning or the middle? I just play some of that. Oh, the video, he's actually on a plane. Yeah, well, shocking. I'm going to fast forward to the middle. Okay. the video and it's like a big party on the plane you bet and there's a priest there and the priest is actually having a drink i've been drunk on a plane and it's not as much fun as it sounds oh my gosh it's totally dehydrating it's horrible it's bad i know you're out of control you can't leave i've never been drunk on a plane but i there's a few times like i've been headed to vegas or i've been with my girlfriends and we have drinks and then i just get super tired right like i would rather just get to where we're going and then go out than start drinking on a plane i just don't have a really good tolerance for that but he just said it's mardi gras up in the clouds that's kind of a cool line it is it is yeah so dirk bentley was at shafali's talk a couple weeks ago and i just heard that he and his wife like flew in from Nashville to see her. Yeah. So I, um, it's funny because I, what I told my girls is that at one point Shafali asked me to stand up and say something, just tell a story. I can't, you know, she just kind of wanted me to riff on something. Did she ask you to tell a story about guacamole? She didn't. Because if just... she did, you'd be like, sweet, <laughs> this is perfect. I think she just wanted me to like kind of explain conscious parenting in my own way. So I did through a story with guacamole. But anyway, I saw him. Um, and he's really attractive that, and, but I didn't know who he was, but I made, I made a, I noticed that he was there. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And then uh, when I got home, did you notice because he was attractive, sweetie? Yes, I did. He kind of, you know, when people kind of stick out like a a sore thumb, like you're like, I I don't know if you belong here. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, but anyway, I didn't know who it was. I know Dirk Bentley, but I didn't know that was him. And he, uh. I guess what if he had a cowboy hat and a guitar, would you have recognized him? Possibly. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think maybe But he had no guitar and no cowboy hat. I'm like, what's up with that? Yeah. Doesn't he want us to know who he is? <laughs> it's like us walking around with our headphones. <laughs> <laughs> and a microphone. Hello everybody. Um he so anyway, our friend Cindy called when we got home and she she actually had a fun a more funny story because she basically was trying to give him material about her place, which is called The Well on the North Shore. And she kept saying, you should come. And he's like, you know, I don't live here. I live in Nashville. And she's like, oh, Nashville. I love Nashville. She had no idea who she was talking to. Um, So then eventually he got a picture with Shefali and they were like, oh, that's who that is. So anyway. If there's any northern suburb people listening to this, there is an amazing place called The Well North Shore. Uh Uh, Go to thewellnorthshore.com. It's a space where they have a whole bunch of holistic stuff. And Kathy and I speak there. It's pretty awesome. Yes. It's it's beautiful. Um, Very calm space for lots of... um, Different things. Wellness and awareness. Yeah. Um, so anyway, going back to who would I want at the conference, yeah. I guess the person would have to be Oprah, but I'm not necessarily putting her on there for that reason. It's not, it's like I like to, the character that she has demonstrated or the, some of the wisdom that I have taken in over the years, I she's just representative of yeah. it. So I like to kind of keep that, uh-oh, I hear a child coming down the stairs. No, she's just. Dancing upstairs. Oh, she's just in the running kitchen. around. Okay. So anyway, um, why was I talking about the? If you could have anybody speak at the conference, wouldn't it also be Oprah? Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I yeah. think it probably would be, um, only because that would just be crazy. Yeah. I that would be like there are so many people I would love to have at the conference, or but that would be really out of this world. The promised land. <laughs> that would be out of this world. Okay, so four types of fears. Let's jump in. Okay, so anyway, this is from Oprah's book, and Wisdom of Sundays is just basically the the greatest hits from Super Soul Sunday or Super Soul, actually just Super Soul Sunday, because um, that's what it's called. What is Wisdom Super Soul Sunday. Sunday? It's a show on the OWN channel where Oprah, over the you know many, many years, interviews uh, spiritual teachers or um, you know thinkers, spiritual thinkers, um, and she... Uh, one of the people that she's had a friendship with and has interviewed many, many times is Ian Van Zandt. And I also watch Ian Le's show. Um, I've watched Ian Le's show since forever. You remember she's awesome. the show? Yeah. What was it called? Uh, I don't remember, but I remember the bedroom. Starting that- Over. There you go. I watched her show Starting Over. And Rhonda was With Rhonda Britton, yeah. Anyway, um, Ian Le, her like you know, blurb or her, um, her greatest hit in this book is about our four primal fears. 
Okay. And I've read, she's, I've heard her talk about this several times, but I think every time I read it, it's like very grounding. Mm. Like it kind of gives us better understanding of why certain things trigger us. Um, and it also helps us look at ourselves and go, oh yeah, I can see how that fits into those categories. So the four primal fears, do you want me to just start? Number one? I guess so. Okay. So the first primal fear is the fear of losing someone's love or having your love rejected. Right? Yep. You losing someone's love or being rejected in an attempt to love somebody else. Yeah. And I think that this shows up in romantic relationship. I also think that this shows up parent to child and child to parent. I also think this shows up in friendship, uh, especially new friendship. Um, because sometimes when we use the word love, we think about it just romantically. But I think it's beyond that. I think sometimes even when children are being rejected by a parent, they create a story in their head about how they're really not being rejected. Mm-hmm. And they kind of make a excuses or create something There's... where they don't have to feel that fear. Okay. Does that make sense? I was going to say they're seeking evidence to support some lack of love or something like that, but I don't know if that quite jives. I think it's beyond that. I think that children can actually do something called disassociating. Uh, So can adults. It's not just children, but where they they kind of can be... they can create, they can kind of pull themselves out of certain painful situations emotionally and not fully feel it. Yeah. Have you heard of disassociation before? I have, but if you said just define it, I'd be like, no clue. Well, I guess the best way to explain it so it, we can just have like a ground zero. Because I feel like I have the ability to do exactly what you just said. Well, I think it's bigger than that. Like, for example, children who, I'm going to an extreme example, um, children who are molested. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, if, especially if it's happening re- happening repeatedly, can literally have a Break. they can remove themselves yeah. emotionally from what's happening. A separation, to them. correct, where they can disassociate from that time. And what happens a lot of times is then, as they grow up, they, those parts are literally separate. And mm-hmm. oftentimes, uh, it used to be called multiple personality disorder. Yeah. Now it's called dissociative disorder. Got it. But you can really be two completely different people, people, depending on the situation. So that's an extreme example. But what I'm talking about is I think sometimes even when our our parents are rejecting us, if that were to happen, we can almost be like pretend that's not happening because the fear or the pain of that is so great Mm -hmm. that we couldn't even deal with it. So we kind of make a story of, you know, oh, this is just, you know, uh, this is just the way it is right now, or they don't mean it, or really I'm safe. And mm. it's a defensive mechanism. Yeah. It's protective, right? It's not. I'm not even necessarily calling it bad or good. It just is. What's interesting about what you said is um, I was speaking with a client not too long ago, and this person uh, is almost too much the other way where the person's daughter or son, their mood dictates upon whether or not they can be in a good mood or not. Oh, sure. So the in person a, that they walk on eggshells around. Right. So it, so there's a balance even with that. Like sometimes you can disassociate too much and then other times our investment in our children, like it's impossible for me to have a good day if my kids are having a bad mm, day. That's, and I actually would use a different clinical word, word called enmeshment, mm-hmm. like where we're so Is disassociative, blah, 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 and enmeshment like opposite sides of the same thing or no? I don't even know if they're really have to be connected. Okay. I don't even think, I think they're completely different things or okay. the way that I would describe them. Sure. Um, but <clears throat> what I think about with enmeshment is where And again, we don't always know that it's happening. You know, sometimes it takes somebody else pointing out, you know, sometimes it's called a codependence um, where we are completely, um, like you said, we we are so involved with someone else. Like right now you guys can't see me, but I'm threading my fingers together that our lives are affected by everything that happens in their lives and vice versa. Now you may say, well, I feel that way about my kids all the time, but there's a healthy balance in here. My children... Of course, if they come home and they're upset about something, I am affected or I have an emotional experience because of it. But I don't, my entire being and emotional well being is not necessitated on their conditional. Right. That there's a better way to say that. If they are having a bad day, I may go there with them and talk to them about it, but I can, I don't then stay where they are. And I think that that is, um, it's. It, I think that parents can get really lost in that For sure. really fast yeah. because 
they it is like you know wearing your heart on your sleeve. Well, and I would say even people that would maybe choose to listen to a podcast like this might be more likely to be enmeshed than disassociative. Like we're all so caring and right. so loving, and we just want to do everything for our kids. So we're going to listen to a podcast. And I kind of feel like that might even be helpful. Yeah. And, and you know, that it is. Like, I think that we, and again, it's a clinical term. And so I don't want you guys to start walking around saying, oh, I love my kids so much I'm a mesh. Like, yeah. it's not a, it basically, it just means that our feelings are only, our experiences are through our children mm. versus we have our own, own experience, experience and then they have an experience and then we help each other. Sure. And a lot of times when there is some kind of dependency in the home, like a, a child of an alcoholic or a child of a uh, someone who's addicted to drugs, obviously the, um, the parent or vice versa, you know, you have a child who has an addictive, sure. you know, then we start to feel that like I need to take care of them and everything. I'm so connected. I have a hard time having my own life. Right. Um, so anyway, but that's kind of going down a path, a totally different path. The fear of losing someone's love or having your love rejected on a very basic level. Let's talk about that. A lot of times the reason we don't tell people the truth about how we're feeling is we don't want the rejection. Sure. Like you and I talk about on this show all the time about, you know, men will come to you, women will come to me and they'll say, you know, here's all these concerns I'm having about my wife or my husband. And then we'll say to them, well, what do they say when you tell them? And they'll say, well, I haven't told them this. Now, you know, obviously the first step is telling someone how you feel, but the reason that they don't- Is because? They'll, they they risk rejection. Right. So it's they think it's safer to not say that when in fact, if you go through days and weeks and months and years of that practice, you're actually more risky by not sharing. Correct. And you and I actually mentioned on last week's show, this came up because we were talking about how a lot of times- uh, partnership, either through marriage or whatever, even if they didn't get married, if it fails, if it if it doesn't sustain, um, a lot of times I hear from the individuals who are in that partnership, I never really even showed up as myself. Mm -hmm. Like I kind of pretended to be someone else or pretended to be really strong or pretended that I didn't care. And that's not really who I was. So I didn't even really get a chance to show up as myself. And why? Because the fear, it, a lot of people would rather be, have a version of themselves rejected than their true selves rejected. And to go deep, I think a lot of people uh, feel like they need to work towards acceptance or work to feel valued. And what I have said to men and women is that this fact that we're, we exist, that we were born, it's our birthright to be valuable. It is. Like we don't have to work at it. Right. We're breathing, walking on this earth. We are, you know, I, I didn't think I was going to go down this road, but if you believe in God, God is love. We came from God. It's all love. Right. But we think, no, the only way we can be loved is if we have a certain amount of money in our bank account or our kids say that they love us a certain amount of times a week or whatever it is. And, or if we're productive in a certain way. Right. And it's not like just that's the basis of everything. We, we are valued because we exist and that's it. Well, speaking of um, Oprah, because we were talking about her before, there's actually a quote in A Wrinkle in Time, this one point where the girl who is the you know protagonist of the story, Meg, she's really has a lot of self-doubt. And at one point, you know, Oprah, who is Mrs. Witch, turns to her and says, do you know how many, and I'm not, I don't have this verbatim, but you know, do you know how many things had to happen and choices had to be made for you to be here? Well, it's a miracle. Just start with the sperm and the egg. Right. It's, There's like it's a, a miracle. bazillion sperm and all of a sudden <laughs> it fertilizes an egg. Like that's a miracle. I know. And then you were born. That's a miracle. I know. That's two crazy miracles before you even showed up. That was, and that's within so many choices that led to that moment of that right, happening. Right. You know, led to the people meeting each other or yes. being in the same place at the same time. If or, I didn't go to Drake... Our kids wouldn't exist. Wouldn't exist. I know. Or you. If it's, I hadn't moved to Chicago. Right. That was a huge choice for me. And you happened to live there the next year. So for our kids, like if we're talking to our kids, by the way, we asked our youngest to come on with us today. No interest. But if she were here and she were listening, which they're not, none of them like our show, sweetie. Let's be honest. It's not that they don't like they it. They don't like it. It's just so normal to them. It's like any parents work. They're going to listen to all these after, Someday. After we go. Yes, yes, yes. After we transition to the next plane. I know. So if you're, if J.C. Cameron's Keller, if you're listening and we're in the next plane. We're watching you. We're watching you. <laughs> and don't, don't be bad person. 
They're not, as we're sitting here saying you're valuable, no matter what, but don't be a bad person. Don't be bad. <laughs> Just be good. All the time. No, we love you. Let's honestly, I love you guys. Yes. Okay. If they are listening, we love everybody. Yeah. Love everybody. In the words of Emerson. Donahue. Donahue. I, my name is Emerson and I love everybody. I know. We actually had a podcast called that because we had her mom on. Um, Emerson was born uh, with something called Williams syndrome. And even though there's a lot of you know issues that can go with it, one of the, one of the um, it's, it's actually not even a challenge, it's a beauty, is that she's very social and yes. very loving and her heart is just like wide open all the time. And she just- She went to an Indian princess meeting yeah, with me uh-huh. and she introduced herself- and we're all like, my name is Todd and I'm a dad. And JC's like, my name's JC and I go to the school. And she said, my name is Ever Emerson and I love everybody. Yeah. And my heart just welled up. That's about it. Ugh. She And everybody loves her. Yes. So here's the thing. Um, rejection. So the first fear is rejection. Okay. Got it. Ready for the second one? Uh, second one. One quick transition. Uh, forget it. I was going to do a transition, but go ahead. Second fear. The fear of being powerless or helpless, and therefore you're not safe in your being. The fear of being unsafe. And I feel like I, we've all had this experience, and I could name many, many experiences. But we, earlier this year when I was sick and my body didn't work, this was my fear, mm. is I was powerless, um, not just over emotional situations, but physical situations. And it's scary. Mm. And I- um, Loss of control. Loss of, and you know- that actually is coming up later. Oh, sorry. Yes, that's another fear. But um, powerless or helpless, like a lot of um, a lot of times, uh, people dream about. And this is kind of a scary dream. This is more of a nightmare. Uh, dream about like being attacked, mm-hmm. and then you scream, and mm-hmm. no sound comes out. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had that dream before? Have you uh, ever? No. Do you ever dream about being attacked in your sleep? I'm just curious no. if men dream about that. No. See, women dream about that a lot. Yeah, it's like a cultural uh, collective unconscious thing. Yeah, there is part, and I'm not saying women dream about it all the time. I'm just saying that most women, I would say every woman I know, has had a dream a time or two where they've been attacked. Mine is um, so like weird. Um, driving a car in reverse really fast and just forgetting that I have to turn around to look to see where I'm going. I'm oh just like God. literally driving really fast. So it's kind of like helpless, powerless. Yeah, yes. Or the other dream I thought of is just the uh, idea of falling. Just talk yes. about being powerless. And then I have this other random dream that is completely disconnected to everything we're saying, where my older brother is getting uh, chased and attacked by a giant turtle. Wow. Yeah. I like turtles. Yeah, it's like a big like sci- sci-fi turtle and he's getting attacked by it. Your sister had a dream last night that that she was having uh, like wine coolers with me and Questlove. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a bad night. <laughs> I know. I wanted to be like Bartles and James, <laughs> California coolers. Which is the one that Bruce Willis did? I don't remember. I just it's red and as white, golden wine cooler. My 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 my. Don't you remember? He used to be like in a t-shirt, I a do. white t-shirt. There is a funny, what movie was it that I was watching where they were talking about, oh, it was a 30 Rock episode, of course. They were like, can't we get Bruce Willis to show up? They're like, they're, he's insisting that he sing. And they're like, well, then no, he This can't. is a YouTube clip called Bruce Willis Seagram's Commercial. Seagram's. Singing on Porch. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Hey, me, fellas. Look here. Seagram's. Body wine cooler. Seagram's. It's wet and it's dry, sweetie. Um, you know, for a person who doesn't really know the words to many songs, you knew that commercial. Golden one, cooler, ma, 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 ma. In the 80s, like, or maybe it was, yeah, it was the 80s when someone like Bruce Willis, like, it's not like he's really got a great voice, but because he was an actor, he got to sing or like. It's like a good looking actor. He kind of could barely sing, but they're like, yeah, come on. Why not? I think they just like Eddie Murphy did his album. My girl wants to party all the time, party all the time, party all the time. That one? Yes. There it is. With Rick James. We're going to fast forward. 
He doesn't sound bad. No, no, he doesn't. After all of the things I've done for you, I buy you roses, put diamonds on your finger. Are you going to sing the chorus with me, sweetie? What a dumb song. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> this is what, I mean, I just feel like that was the era, man. It was so normal. Um, but yeah, there was just a lot of actors singing. Where now there's a lot of actors singing, but I feel like people coming into the industry are literally triple threats. Like they can dance, sing, and act, you know? Sweetie, there's only so many Hugh Jackmans to go around. Well, I, you know. Who's another triple threat? Well, Selena Gomez. She can act, she can sing, she can, you know. You know, you can get dance. lost in YouTube. Like, I just played Eddie Murphy Party all the time, and there's a link that came up that says top 10 80 songs you forgot were awesome. And, like, I could see myself spending 11 minutes. Oh, yeah. That, well, that's 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 the definition of clickbait. Ugh. Like, Neil Patrick Harris. Like, there's so many people who can sing, dance, and act. It's a wonder that we can get anything done. Uh, th- you guys, I say this all the time because a lot of times <laughs> my daughters and I, like, at night, when they should be going to bed, were sitting looking at their phone, playing with their Snapchat um, filters. And I think it's so funny. And we have the most fun time. And I say to them every time we do it, how do you guys get anything done? Because that's just one thing is a Snapchat filter. But meaning that's just one thing they can look at. Like right. think about all the other things they have access to. How do they get anything done? Like, And I guess that's just them making... You know, kids who actually get their homework done and go to events and take care of things that they need to do, it's, it just shows you how they're able to prioritize, I guess. Sweetie, can I uh, give you a quick pop quiz uh, for um, one of our partners? It's uh, something different I'm trying. Sure, sure. So this is Health IQ. What's Health IQ? They sell life insurance for healthy people, and they give me quizzes a few times a week via email that are informative. So let's see how you do. You ready? I'm ready. Due to, and it talks about running in the rain, due to the potential for unstable ground conditions when you exercise in the rain, one one is more likely to do what? Decrease muscle activation reverse muscle activation, increase muscle activation, or negate muscle activation? I would say I would increase my muscle activation to keep my feet on the You would be correct, sweetie. And we'll do one more just for kicks. According to research, running in cooling conditions such as rain potentially helps runners to A, decrease VO2 max, whatever that is, increase endurance, lower platelet levels, or reduce short twitch fibers. Give me your guess. I'll say the first one. Decrease VO2 max? Yeah. You are incorrect. Oh, bummer. Uh, By keeping the body from overheating, runners are able to go further, faster when misted with cool water, according to small So that's endurance? That's number two? Yes. Okay. Yes. So anyways, so if you're interested in getting uh, good life insurance and saving money uh, all at the same time, go to healthiq.com slash zen to get your free quote. Thank you. So we barely touched on the second one. Do you want to go to the third? No, we did. Feeling okay. powerless and helpless. We talked a lot about Eddie Murphy and Bruce Willis. <laughs> Seagram's coolers. <laughs> well, you know, powerless and helpless. You guys know. We were talking about dreams. Yes. And then somehow we got... Oh, the because... Gi- giant turtles. Now I remember giant turtles. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, the third fear okay. is really, as Ian Van Zant says, the third fear is really the number one human addiction. What do you think it is? What's the number one human addiction? Control? Yes. Boom. Control, God, control. Control, control. You must learn control. So the, the so and when we talk about control, it's losing control, losing control of yourself, controlling, losing control of what other people are doing, um, con- losing control of what's going to happen. I think that we really think that we have control over these things anyway. Well, for example... Our children. We did a Zen talk yesterday, and a lot of it is, is about that. Like we want to, we want our kids to behave the way we want them to behave when we want them to behave a certain way. Yeah. Because a lot of times we want our kids to be quiet, yeah. and a lot of times we want our kids to be more gregarious. Maybe when like people are around or family are around, we'll be like, "Oh, play the piano or show off or dance." Mm-hmm. And so we're actually telling them to rev it up, mm-hmm. or we're telling them, you know, that they shouldn't be so tired in the morning. But at night, we're like, "You need to be more tired and go to bed." Basically, we want to control their behavior around what works for us. And and in no way am I shaming anyone for doing that. I do it too, right. but just the acknowledgement of what we're doing. Well, and it even gets even trickier 
you know, we had somebody on the call yesterday, the kids not brushing their teeth. Mm-hmm. We want to have control over that. Is that such a bad thing? No. Teeth sometimes fall out if you don't brush them. So like, you know, obviously the the entertaining in front of relatives for your own gratification is an easy one. Like, oh, don't do that. Just let your kids kind of be who they are. It, what gets trickier is when you know, it's more subtle or it's more gray. Do you know what I mean? Well, I think what you're saying is where there's more to lose. There's, there's a bigger, yeah, higher you know, stakes, higher stakes. And I think this is where, you know, again, we kind of went here on the Zen talk, but about connection and, and maintaining the ability to have conversations with your children where they listen to you and they hear you. When I say listen to you, I don't mean they do what you say all the time, but that you have continue to have a relationship with your children where they at least have respect for what you're saying. Now, within that, like a point that was brought up um, also on the Zen Talk was sometimes teenagers roll their eyes at you. And we may say, well, they rolled their eyes, so they're not hearing what I say. But teenagers sometimes do, like, they're like, okay, I heard, all right, you know? Sometimes they're a little exasperated, exacerbated. What's the word? I am right there with you. Those are two different words, exacerbated and exasperated. Those should not be two different words. But they are. I believe you, but they should just merge them into one and call it one thing. <laughs> Regardless, they, they're, I think my hope always with my girls is, are we having a conversation and am I being respectful of them? So then when I'm talking, they're also respectful of me. And, yeah. and again, I think when people hear that, they're going to think that I mean they're acting like perfect children or that they're not ever saying anything negative. What I mean is like any relationship, like when you and I are having a conversation. Sure. I, my hope is that because I am doing my best to be thoughtful and respectful toward you, that I then I am setting a stage for you to be that way with me. What's hard, though, is when you're dealing with a 15-year-old or a 2-year-old, is you're, many times you're not going to get that same respect back. Because their maturity level Correct. is different. But you can get, a, you're not going to get exactly no. the same um, and, and you shouldn't because when you are an adult talking to a 15 year old, you are the adult. So you are role modeling. This is the definition of getting old. I used to roll my eyes at my parents. Of course. And when my daughters have done it, I get annoyed and it's weird. Like, I don't know. It's just judgment, you know, well, like I did it. Why am I surprised when they do it? Is it because I think I'm raising my kids better than my parents raised me? Like, where does that come from? No, I don't think that's it at all. I think what happens is when we're telling our kids something, we're oftentimes, maybe not doing it in the best way, but sharing something from our heart or sharing something we're concerned about or worried about. And there's a very human, it's the rejection thing. Like mm-hmm. you're rolling your eyes at me and I'm trying to tell you some serious things. So it's not so much about the, I'm not raising my kids well. I think in that moment as a person, not just as a parent, but as a human being, you feel rejected. Mm-hmm. You're you're kind of that's why we then go into 13-year-old mode where yeah. we're like, you're not gonna reject yeah, me. Yeah, we drop down to where they are. Exactly. And so I think it's just a lot of times when we're and and that is why sometimes when I'm telling my girls something serious, I try and use humor so I can share what I'm sharing, but also not create this really like rigid conversation where it's me lecturing at them. Content versus context. Right. Content is what you say. Context is how you say it. Yes. Yes. And if you can come at it from a loving energy, which is sometimes really hard to do, but if you can, odds are you're going to be more impactful in whatever it is you're saying to your kid. Sometimes the last thing I want to say about control, the fear of losing control or not having it is there are times obviously where I naturally would like to have control of a situation, maybe even work really hard to kind of figure out how to control something. Mm -hmm. But some of my most peaceful times, like especially in in a more meditative state or when I really am kind of uh, allowing myself to ease into some idea, is when I really recognize I have no control, there is a letting go, uh, this, this third fear that we have where we're gripping so hard, when you really let go and you're like, I can have influence, I can share of myself, I can love, I can do my best, but in the end, I really can't control outcomes. Nope. And um, and again, that doesn't mean you give up. We don't do the dichotomy of either you control or you don't control. There's a million places in between of, like I said, you show up and you offer an opinion or you give your love or you are honest, but then there's a letting go. That is surrender. Never give up. And always let go. And always let go. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like if I'm ever going to give myself advice, the one that will probably help is loosen the grip. Yes. Yeah. And maybe there's other people out there and then maybe moments in my life where I need to tighten the grip. I actually know that there's times when I get taken advantage of in certain business settings where I need to act a little bit differently because I'm a pushover. I'm gullible. But for most, most of my relationships in my life with the people around me, it's just relax. Well, and a lot of times it's because, and again, not just you, but I'm going to use you are on autopilot. So you're like, okay, we're going to leave at three. We're going to do this. Then we're going to eat here. And then we're going to go here. And we have this idea in our mind and we forget that there are other people involved. Other variables, other needs, other judgments, other bad moods. Well, and that it's not even just the people in our family. It could be traffic. It could be, you know, someone comes to town and blocks traffic, or it could be that there was an accident, or it could be that there's a snowstorm, or it could be like, we can't control everything. Mm-hmm. And and the more that we acknowledge that, the less we beat our heads against the wall. Because how can you control? And and the more that we can acknowledge that, I often feel the better choices we make. Because like, for example, let's just use something like traffic. Part of the reason, well, tra- this isn't really, like going to the airport. Let's mm-hmm. use going to the airport. What do, I like to be at the airport really early. Right? Yes, you do. So two hours early. It's in the DNA, sweetie. Let's call it for what it is. Kasanis like to be at the airport early. It's just part of doing things. It's, (laughs) It's, you know why? It's not a thing where I'm like, I'm so, I'm not trying to. I know. It's because why get stressed? And that's the point I'm trying to make is that I want to differentiate between doing something just because it's a tradition in my Mm. family or because my dad taught me to, or my mom taught me to, and, and recognize that I noticed what they taught me and I chose it again. Meaning I want to be at the airport early because you never know what's going to happen. You never know if there's going to be a line. For example... When we went to Seattle and for Thanksgiving last year, we yeah. forgot something very important at oh, home. Oh, boy. Yes. We turned around. We had enough time to turn around. We were at O'Hare. Almost. We turned yeah. around. Almost. Turned around. And we still had plenty of time. Yep. So I don't know. It's, you know, to your point, to make your point that sometimes things come up. We talked a little bit yesterday on the Zen Talk. Um, you know, most, our, our monkey brain builds a story about the way that things should go. Right. And what Byron Katie says in Loving What Is, is instead, like the odds of things happening the way you want them to is very unlikely. You created it in your brain. Yeah. It's a story in your brain. It's not the truth of the world. It's a story in your brain. And can can sure. I talk about the airport again really quick? Sure. Because it gives us a lot of good information. So when I see people in line and they're annoyed at people because they're not going fast enough or they're like, I'm going to butt in front of you or you you should be doing this. That is somebody who's so in their head about how things should go that they are being disrespectful to other people who may have, who may need more time or, or for example, when we're driving somewhere and we're honking at the person in front of us or go, go, go. And again, I've done this. So this is, you know, I've been honked at and I've been a honker. Yeah. But why are we doing that? Because we're late. Yep. We, For us to blame the people in front of us or behind us or to the side of us is simply not fair. Like, And we can say, well, that person's a dumb driver or they're a jerk. No, you're just in a hurry and you're projecting your discomfort onto mm. other people. Yes. And you know what? Sometimes we are late for the airport, even without... There have been times like... No, I'm never late for the airport. I love being late. I know. You're always late. I can't stand being late. Um, no, no. Wait a second. I was being sarcastic when I said I love being late. Well, but you, you're you not late, but you do go to the airport really late, meaning you show up right before your plane takes well, off. Well, now I got a system. I got TSA pre-check. I Uber to the airport. I can, you know, for those of you guys who have typical travel hassles, we live so close to O'Hare if there's a nine o'clock flight, I can literally, I don't do this, but I can literally leave my house at eight yeah, and be true. on that airplane. Yeah. Whereas you will leave that house at six. If our plane is at eight, yeah, for yeah. sure. And I think that stems my addiction to productivity. Like if I'm sitting there for two hours, it's stupid. Well, and what I, I am productive at the airport. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I eat, I get my water, I get a book, I have my computer. It doesn't feel like wasted time to me. Yeah. So can we do the last fear? Um, first, let's do our second of two partners okay. this week, Kind Snacks. So Kind Snacks, they make delicious, healthy snacks using whole ingredients you can recognize and pronounce. And I was on their website this morning, and it's kind of nice because they have it specific to whatever it is that you do, whether it's after-school snacks and things like that. So they kind of handpick the bars that will work in certain circumstances. Huh. And the one I just chose is Fuel for Your Morning Run. 
Remember you and I used to do morning runs? I do. Back on Schubert? I do. What were we doing? We, remember the tree with all the birds? Yes. Yeah. What is with that tree? What was with There's that There's always that tree where like a million 65 birds. little blackbirds I know. will all kind of hang out in one tree. And it would kind of freak me out because totally. you would run by and they would like disperse and there would be like blackbirds filling, filling the sky. It's a little Hitchcock-esque. You and I one time, and maybe more than once, we ran from Cicero and Diversity, which is where we used to live on the far west side of Chicago, yeah. all the way to the lake. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yes. I, I, we were training for triathlon. Triathlons yeah. and all that. Yeah. Like doing that now just makes me laugh. Like, I know. I we did a I lot could. of things in our 20s. I don't, I don't really, I play basketball, but I don't really run anymore uh-huh. because my knees are not good. Yeah. But you do a lot of yoga. Our, our exercise has kind of evolved a little bit. It has a lot. Even my friend Mike, who used to run like 60 miles in a week, he's realized he's got to cut back because he really? wants to be able to walk when he's 60 years old. Yeah. So anyways, but no, Kind Snacks. So when you click on the Fuel for Your Morning Run, they have all these different types of Kind Bar. They also have pressed by kind. Um, they have a lot of different uh, selections for you. So if you're interested in supporting us by supporting our partners, you can enter the 10, um, the kind snack club and you get 10 kind bars for free, 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 free. All you got to do is pay shipping. And when you order the sample box, you get to get in this snack club where you'll receive monthly snacks at a discount. So go to kindsnacks.com slash Zen. And thank you to kind snacks for supporting us. All right, so I'm going to finish up with the fourth fear and kind of tie all this together. These four fears. Oh, you're going to tie it together? Oh, I didn't know of that. You got to thread it together. Hold you got to. I just tie feel like doing a drum roll here. Okay. So the fourth fear is not being seen as valuable, worthy, or necessary. The fourth fear is not being seen. I'm writing this down. Not being seen as valuable or what? Worthy or necessary. Like where you feel like nobody needs me or what I have to offer isn't helpful. And that's a lot of times why we overcompensate or why we pretend we're something we're not. Like I've been watching or I watched the uh, assassination of Gianni Versace Mm -hmm. um, and it ended the other night. Um, And I, I, for many reasons, I have a lot of deep thoughts about that show. Um, but really that was his issue was, you know, Andrew Cunanan who, mm-hmm. you know, committed these, this crime, many crimes. It was, he wanted to be special mm-hmm. and he didn't feel worthy. And right. so he overcompensated. And then when he didn't get what he wanted or his expectations were not met, um, and there are many things that happened before that. He learned that kind of behavior from right. his father. Um, but anyway, it you can see how obviously that's an extreme situation, what happened with him, um, but how that shows up in our relationships when we don't feel worthy. It reminded me of that scene in Breakfast Club. I tried to pull it up, but I can't find it. When Emilio Estevez is the wrestler. Yes. And he tells John Bender, you know, you don't even matter. Oh, you don't, so painful. If, no, if you didn't show up for school, nobody, nobody would notice. Nobody would notice. And that's when... John Benner gets all pissed. Well, not only that, but later on, Mm -hmm. he repeats it back to him, which tells you how deeply that hit him. He's like, wait a second. I thought I didn't matter. Yeah. I thought, and and that is probably one of the worst things you can ever say to somebody. For sure. Yeah. You don't matter. You don't matter. And not only was Emilio Estevez saying that he doesn't matter, he was saying nobody, nobody thinks cares. he matters. Exactly. No, if you didn't show up- Nobody would even nobody notice. Nobody would even notice. That is a horrible thing to say. Yeah. And um, and he feels bad about it later. Yeah. Well, they make up. Everything's fine at the end, but and geez. He, but that's how he felt about himself. He felt invisible too yeah. in his own family. Because his dad- Correct. You know, in that movie, the dads, the Emilio Estevez dads, Judd Nelson's dad, just not good dads. Well, they were not, they loved their kids, I'm sure. I mean, a fictional Intention, story. They're trying to protect them, keep them safe. This is what happened to me and I turned out okay, all that stuff. But having said that- Their choices were poor. Choices, well, putting cigars in the kid's arm is probably a good start. Oh yeah, I'm. I'm. You're so right. I forgot. I was thinking about um, and not Andy. Who's a who's Anthony Michael Hall? What's his name? Uh, Brian. Brian. Like you know, the parent. He they wanted him to succeed. Yeah. You know, and he felt all that pressure to get A's. And anyway, here's the thing that ties it together. So Ianla goes on to explain in this Wisdom of Sundays chapter about how really um, anger is the manifestation of one of those fears. 
that I just named. So the four fears are the fear of losing someone's love or having your love rejected, the fear of being powerless or helpless, and therefore you don't feel safe, um, the fear of losing control, not having control over their others or what will happen, and then the fourth fear is not being seen as valuable, worthy, or necessary. So anger is really the manifestation of one of those fears um, that, you know, Obviously, like I said, your love is being rejected or someone's going to take it away or you're seen as helpless or you're seen as vulnerable, which we talk about all the time as being, you know, um, and, you know, because we don't want to be seen as vulnerable, we try and pretend we're in control. Yeah. Right. So again, we're just showing it's it's a facade. Exactly. And then when you can't control how somebody's doing um, there, you have a ton of fear. So. This is my favorite part of what she has to say, because I think this is what we need to recognize is how these things show up. Obviously, they show up in different ways, moment by moment. But like the big picture, um, you're never angry for the reason you think you're angry. Yes, it's the that's the entry point. Exactly. So you're not as she as she's describing, mm. you're not born with this anger. Yeah. It's it's a an experience of one of these feelings that you're having, regardless of how it's coming at you. It could be coming at you from your child. It could be coming at you from your partner. It could be coming at you from the driver in front of you. But when you start to feel anger, it's not really because of that driver. That was the catalyst. That was exactly, it caused you to feel those things, those the that impression that was initially made in you or the experience you first had with these fears then shows up again. It gets repeated or that feeling gets re-triggered mm-hmm. when you have a similar experience. Well, and I always think of Tony Robbins interventions. And if you want to see a master at kind of helping somebody very quickly, just, you know, YouTube search Tony because when he would be like, okay, who's stuck? Who has a problem? He even says you know cuz he speaks to thousands of people at the same time who hears suicidal or whatever right and but doesn't just for complete sure. disclosure doesn't aren't people interviewed ahead of time so there are certain people who some raise yes, their hand some no interesting yes okay cuz i know some people have filled out forms oh yeah it just depends yes okay. but sometimes he's cold okay like he doesn't know anything okay. about him and what tony says is the reason they raise their hand is not What's bothering him. Correct. That is the entry point. And then he digs into childhood or right. trauma right. or whatever it is or not feeling enough or something else. It's just the safest thing that I can share right now is my husband doesn't love me or whatever. Well, and not to, I don't want to, you know, obviously Tony Robbins is good at what he does, but Todd, that's what all therapists do. Right. That's what I do for a living. Right. Like people come in and sit down and my job and, and I hope when I have enough time to do it, because a lot of times people come in, they come in for one session, you can't get anything done, right? right. But my job is people come in with a thing, mm-hmm. but that thing is it's just not, the beginning. It's not the thing. That's the thing How that's the thing that they feel like they can grasp onto, help me fix this, right. but it's a safer thing. Right. right. It's more on the surface. Correct. And the idea is to peel the onion or go down deep and all that. And stuff. that's why a lot of times people get really frustrated at their therapist or angry because they're like, you're not helping me with the thing I came in here to be helped with. Tell me how I can be more on, you know, more, uh, in control of this, or tell me how I can get someone to do something or tell me how I can. And, and the quick fix will help immediately, maybe, but it won't be lasting. It, and exactly. And I don't even think it'll help yeah. because you will then just transfer it to another thing yeah. because the thing you have to be able to do, and this is the hardest, this is what self-awareness is. Another, you know, grand, grand way to explain it is getting to the core of why you are doing what you're doing. Why do we do what we do? Not just what are we doing, but why are we doing that? Because when you recognize, okay, right now I'm feeling, and Todd and I overuse the term triggered. Mm -hmm. We really do. I hear it too much. I use it all the time. Me too. I don't know another word. Help me out with another um, word. We get aggravated. But see, then aggravated people look at as an emotion. Yes. So triggered has that feel of like, something old was just hit. You know what we used to talk about was mm. in the untethered soul, the thorns, mm-hmm. that someone hits your thorns. Yeah. But that, that's so metaphorical. Trigger for me is that the stimulus creates a much larger response than whatever the stimulus was. Correct. Do you know what I mean? So somebody talks back to you, but you 
go nuts because of it. And why, this is exactly what she's talking about, why are you going nuts? It's not because of what that person did in that moment. It's because it's of your history with something similar. So you are reacting to what happened in your past, not to what's happening in front of you. Now, people initially, when they're hearing this, they will argue this with me. And they'll be like, no, I'm pissed at my kid. Or no, you don't know how- So then what do you say? That's fine. You meet people where they are Mm -hmm. because the truth is that is the experience they're having. I'm not trying to overpower them with my knowledge, but if they are still in present time, then let's work on that. But as you start, again, this is why we say, you know, peel back the layers of an onion. You can't get to the middle of the onion without getting those layers off first. So it is, okay, right now let's talk about this and let's talk about your partner and how this affects you. And then once you resolve, not resolve, but once you give, um, you respect that, you listen to that and hear that and honor it, then there's enough trust in, in the relationship where you can say, okay, now who else did that to you? Right. And then you can start to kind of whittle it down. Right. Um, but you know- It's a powerful question. It is. Who else did that to you? Yeah. Well, it's the same question, you know, that we talked about, um, the, I, I think we talked about it on the show. I know I taught it in my college class about the 60 minutes with Oprah, um, about the trauma did we talk about that on this show? I don't remember. Well, just basically how now we have enough research and understanding around children and trauma that not only are we seeing emotional outcomes from childhood trauma, but literally physical outcomes that children are more likely to have high uh, blood pressure yeah, if they had studies. trauma. Right. Yeah. And if we already talked about this, forgive me for repeating, but it's important to understand that when children are traumatized at an early age, when you think about how a child's brain can, you know how we always say teach children a second language because their brain will absorb it because they're so spongy? Well, it's the same truth when it comes to trauma. Because their brain is growing and it's spongy, it absorbs that trauma in a more challenging way because then their brain is developed around that understanding. So the way that the um, Bruce Perry, who uh, Oprah was interviewing, the way he said it is she said, if a child grows up in a safe environment, typically safe, you Mm -hmm. know, that they have a a typical childhood experience, their brain will grow the way it was intended. If they have a lot of trauma, the way he said it is, he said their brain will go grow differently. Mm-hmm. So he didn't necessarily say horribly or, but it will grow differently. differently. And so that means things will show up differently later on. Yeah. And so in all of us have some form of trauma. Sure. It's just, we're talking about children who- Being born alone. Yeah. Going through, I've heard that the hardest thing any of us will ever do is going through the birth canal. Yeah. And that's, talk about traumatic, like you're in this cozy little cushy place, and then all of a sudden you have to go to the outside world in a pretty small passageway. You sure do. That's crazy. And then start breathing in a different way. Yeah, and then start breathing out of your mouth instead of through your umbilical like cord. Bruce Willis, and look who's talking. That's crazy. I, I think know. it's just crazy. We breathed through our belly button for nine months. And or, we lived in water and we darkness. lived in water and darkness. Yeah. And then we show up and we cut the umbilical cord and we're starting to breathe through our, whatever, lungs. And And that's why we cry and scream to get that water out. Yeah. And that's what's so crazy is I say this to my girls all the time about dark. And and this is a very yogic and probably a very spiritual understanding. But this is when we always, Todd and I always talk about not being afraid of the dark and that the darkness is actually a very nurturing place. And going back to the womb, we came from darkness. Like we lived in dark and it helped nurture us and helped grow us. And so you can look at that. You know, a lot of people, when they talk about darkness, we visualize like a thunderstorm outside, like it's this horrible thing. Darkness can root us. Mm -hmm. Darkness plants us. Darkness literally grows our roots. Well, and and when our kids are really young, like infants, mm -hmm. they love it. Mm -hmm. And then their brain starts to develop. They mature. And I don't think it's even fear that we put upon them. Like something in their brain matures to the point where the dark is scary, no? Yeah. Well, I think it's that, um, if I understand correctly, that they their brain is maturing and so they can start to, not quite abstract thinking is later on, but they start to see and understand things and piece things together. Their brain has developed enough where they're like, wait, if I can't see what's happening- right then maybe someone could sneak up on me right. or maybe that clown looks scary. Or the unknown, just simply Absolutely. the unknown. Absolutely. Because I remember when our kids were like really young, they loved it. And then all of a sudden around two, I don't know what they, maybe one. It was like one, two or three, yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, no, turn the light on yeah. and all that. 
there and that is again for those of you who are like but you used to sleep so well it's developmentally appropriate yeah. when our children start to question yeah, the yeah, dark yeah it's not like what's happening to you right. like this is what's supposed to be happening to you it is and to instead of say to them you're being a baby or you're too old to be afraid it's to help support them in understanding that the darkness can feel scary mm-hmm. and there are things you can do like flip a closet light on so you yeah. can see but there's also a beauty in darkness that i think when we get older we understand that because we've experienced <sighs> it enough um so let me let me think if there's one more thing go ahead Taddy. well i was going to close the show because we said that we were going to have a short show so much for that. Yeah. So I, I was going to read more of what Ianla said. Can I read the last paragraph and then we'll finish with that? Because sure. this is in the same. So for those of you who have the Wisdom of Sundays, this is on page 142. Yeah. So you can just read what we've been talking about. But she says, um, right beneath the anger, there is a well of hurt. And we stay at the anger because it gives us control, because we are afraid to go into the hurt. Mm. But right beneath the hurt is the love. Ooh love that. It is because yeah. that's the part that got hurt. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's the love. It was the the, it's the, the real it's the intention. Exactly. And there's something underneath there that is that was all good. Yeah. It was all good. This is what I want you to do. I want you to drop your hands to your sides. I also want you to disconnect your brain. That means close your eyes, take a breath. It won't kill you and invite the hurt forward. Mm. Just invite it forward. Invite it forward. You've got to get into the true feeling. You've got to go there. Yeah. And that's the thing is we don't want to feel, again, something that I've had to do through my own, either my therapy working with other people or my own personal therapy or the energy work I've done with people where you literally drop to that painful place and you have what we call a release and you let go, you cry, you actually feel that pain. And there is a relief um, of something old that possibly was never true to begin with. Yeah. It was, po- you may have built up a rejection around something that wasn't even true. And so all this pain and this anger that you're experiencing was based in a lie to begin with. You either made it up or maybe you didn't make it up true. and it was true, but it's still there to serve you. It is. And you got to be careful with that, but you can learn from it. You can use this experience to say, I'm not going to treat people the way that I was treated. You know, there's always a curiosity or learning that can take place. And for and to Todd's point about that, maybe it was true. Like, for example, as a child, maybe you did have a parent that was neglectful or abusive in some way, emotionally or physically. And as a child, you didn't have any choices, meaning mm-hmm. you had to stay there. You had no choice. John Bender's cigar burns. Exactly. You To be safe, you had to not say anything, whatever that looks like. But then now as an adult, you can speak. You don't have to live that anger as a child anymore. You can free that child from that pain. You can actually try something different. And that is, again, something that you need to do with support. Um, A lot of times professional support is very helpful in that kind of situation, especially if it's old trauma. But um, but anyway. Speaking of professional support, I coach guys. And for any guys that are out there, listen, I know you guys can do it yourself. I know you can do this without any help. You don't need a map. You don't need a map, but I will help you get there faster. And if you don't want to work with me, work with somebody else. Just just work on yourself. And I, I believe in coaching and therapy and everything in between. So if you're interested, go to toddadamscoaching.com and the first session's free. I'd love to chat with you. Um, and my specialty, I would say, is relationships. And you know why a lot of people don't like to do therapy or energy work or body work or anything? Why? They don't want to give up control. Right. And they feel like the unknown, the known, even if it's painful, Mm-hmm they feel more in control of that than the unknown. And a lot of times when we take that step, it can be scary. But you know what, Todd? Leap and the net will appear. Just jump. It appears. Um, And then we also have something called Team Zen. We do two live Zen Talks a month. We have a private Facebook page with resources and Q&A. And uh, it's a a completely separate podcast. You can get in your podcast app. It's a Team Zen podcast. Um, and then we have discounts and everything. So la- we actually just did one. Was that yesterday? It was yesterday. Yes, it was Thursday, yeah. Uh, we did an overview of Byron Katie's stuff. Uh, there was a story about a challenging 11-year-old uh-huh. who was struggling with some bedtime routines. Uh-huh. And then lastly, another mom was asking if she's being too permissive. Yeah. All pretty deep stuff. Authoritarian and permissive, that like that place where we kind of vacillate between those two places instead of recognizing there's all these places in the middle and that... Um, that you know, we we have many options. And we even did a little piece. I, I invited you to explain how you set some boundaries around screen time with one of our kids. I did, yeah. And I said, how did you say it? What did you say? 
because I thought it was really good. Oh, thank you. You're welcome, sweetie. Um, so, and we also have two other amazing partners, Jeremy Kraft, who is in fact a bald-headed beauty. He was over the other day too. Yes, he was. You talking to him for a while. I know. We we get into deep chats. Yes, yes. Um, he has a company called Avid, and they do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. So go to avidco.net. And then there's good old Dr. Kelly, uh, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care. Uh, we got to get JC in there. She said her back has been bothering her. I know. Her. I was there yesterday and nobody came with me. Mm. Um, the girls will be like, I have to get there. And then the day I'm like, come on, let's go. They're like, no, too much homework. Yeah. So they have a hard time with the actual execution of getting yes. there. Um, so go to chirotree.com to learn more about amazing Dr. Kelly. Yeah. And um, I guess that's about it. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything else you want to add, my darling? No. As if 59 minutes isn't enough? That's plenty. If those of you who downloaded the show from last week, if the Backstreet Boys song was missing, oh, yeah. it's because our initial download- So frustrating. I know, didn't have the music in it. So it probably we probably sounded like crazy people because we were just kind of talking over- Nothing. Nothing. Um, but Which anyway. is what we're doing right now. Actually, there's not nothing. There's the ZPR music yeah, you in the background. Got to make sure it shows up. Uh, keep trucking, everybody. Bless you. Love you. And, you know, just keep trucking. Keep trucking. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. We appreciate you. Remember, you can subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's a $25 monthly subscription where you'll get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask Kathy and I questions live. If you can't join us live, you can still access all Zen Talks through the Team Zen Podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, we have a book club, and get discounts on everything that we have to offer. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. Guys, want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationship with loved ones? I have good news. I coach guys. We can talk in person, by phone, or FaceTime. You choose. First session is free. And if you're in Chicagoland, contact me about the tribe. It's a men's group, and it's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by going through the Amazon link under Support Us on our homepage. It doesn't cost you a thing, but we get a small commission from Amazon. Finally, I want to give special thanks to our two foundation partners, the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thank you for your love and support, and keep on trucking. Thank you.